You're listening to This Week in E-Commerce, the Ecom Nation podcast. Dive into the top online retail headlines with your hosts, Paul Waddy and Mal Chia. Let's load up the cart. This Week in E-Commerce, episode 27. I am Mal Chia, flying solo today as Paul unfortunately has been delayed with uh, with various things going on. So we are going to dive straight into it with a relatively quick-fire episode covering off quite a bit of news which has been happening in the retail space in the last seven days or so. First of all, I can't believe it's uh, episode 27. We have been at it for over half a year now, um, which is, which is pretty cool to think about it. I remember seeing a long time ago that the, uh, the average podcast length was less than, um, duration was under 10 episodes. So it's fantastic to see that we have well and truly passed that as well. Apparently, if you make it past 10 episodes, you are probably going to stick around for, uh, for a little while. So hopefully you'll be hearing more of us. As a matter of fact, I think we've got some pretty cool ideas in the pipeline, um, which you'll hear of very soon, including Paul's solo podcast and my solo podcast coming up soon as well. All right, so diving straight into it, one brand we're going to talk about is Baby Bunting. So Baby Bunting, who we talked about previously in the context of launching their marketplace, they have recently come out with their their first um, earnings reports, their income reports, which have shown that their net profit has declined 31% um, over the last year to $3.5 million with 2.5 decrease in gross sales to $248.5 million. Now, this is, if you've been listening to this, not anything to be surprised about when you look at it, because what we're seeing here is that heavy discounting. So while only a de- slight decrease in sales, uh, you're seeing a massive decrease in net profit. And this is pretty much quite synonymous of what's happening in the industry right now, with a lot of brands really having to work much, much harder than before to pretty much earn the same. Matter of fact, when I think about Black Friday and, and the peak period at the end of last year, most of the brands who I've spoke to, spoken to were saying that they did the same or even less than what they did the year prior, but had to work even harder for it, either through increasing the advertising spend or going even harder on discount. And as anyone knows, going harder on discounts kind of means that you are putting yourself into a vicious cycle because going deeper on discounts means that you have to burn through more stock to get to a certain revenue position, um, sales position, which means that you also have less net profit to then reinvest back into your business. So if you don't watch out, that can very quickly become a downward spiral. As you see your net profit decrease, which means less money to reinvest into different parts of your business, which means your business can end up in a bit of a death spiral at some point. That's why it's really important, I've been saying this for a long time, to be very conscious about what your discounting strategy is and how hard you go. Because if you're in a position where you need to just hit very high sales numbers just to keep the lights open, then you're probably carrying too much operational expenses, which means it's really time to think about how do you write into the ship? How do you reduce your operational expenses so that you can get back to a more comfortable position, which may, which which more relates back to your your ability to sell rather than having to force additional sales in order to keep the lights on, which like I said, can end up in that, that downward spiral. And you see a lot of brands do fall into that. Matter of fact, I've been, I've worked with a number of brands who have been in that position before where they are literally, literally robbing Peter to pay Paul. They're robbing future, their future brand in order to pay for 
today's brand. And that quickly becomes something which you just can't escape from no matter how much you try to, which means that you're having to access more and more funding, which can put more and more pressure on your business to repay that funding to pull yourself out of that position. So if you are in that right now, really have a think about how do you focus on efficiency? And this is something which we talk about a lot. How do you focus on making your business much more efficient than what it used to be? Uh, and that's something which uh, is really going to be the rallying cry for 2024 and something which uh, which we're very passionate about because efficiency, growth and efficiency don't necessarily go hand in hand. They can go hand in hand, but efficiency, if you are a very efficient business, it means that you are a sustainable business. You may not be the most you know, the, the highest earning business, you may not be necessarily the most profitable business, but it does mean that you're a business which is efficient and can sustain the headwinds. So when things do change, and they are very likely to, um, you're ready for that as well. Which brings us to the next story, which is the release of the KPMG Australian Retail Outlook report. Now, this is a report which is done every year um, by the accounting firm, the big four accounting firm, consulting firm, KPMG. And it is done through a series of quantitative and qualitative research with a lot of Australian retailers. And this is overseen by um, by the good guys at Inside Retail. It's, so it's a pretty comprehensive study which looks at what retail leaders are feeling about about the year ahead. And no surprises that it's less than rosy. So for the most part, people are not predicting a particularly rosy outlook for, for 2024, meaning that there's where we're in for probably at least from what I what I understand, probably about another six or so months of pain before we can hopefully start to see a bit of an increase towards the, the end of the year in terms of consumer um, uh, consumer spending. Now, this comes even though that last week the ABS released their their annual Hilda report, which looks at the earnings, the average earnings for a basket of about 17,000 Australians, which saw that for the first time in three years, wage growth outpaced inflation, which is generally on the whole, quite good news. So wage growth for the last 12 months ending in December was 4.12%, whereas inflation was 4.1%. Um, so there is some cause for optimism to show that, yes, wage growth is increasing. However, it's interesting to see that that primarily only happened in two sectors. So it happened in education and it happened in healthcare. So it wasn't a blanket increase for wage growth, but probably two sectors which were really in line for, for quite a lot of wage growth did for the first time in a while, see that. So that's great news for, for the healthcare and education industry. But at the same time, it's not necessarily the champ time for champagne and cocaine. Yeah, it is definitely more thinking about, okay, well, it is starting to redress, but we are definitely not out of the woods yet. And that is what this KPMG report is saying, where when speaking to all the different retailers, that is definitely a case of that where we're not predicting growth. We're not really predicting much positivity until the second half of the year or even going into 2025. And a big focus of this is then is looking at how do we then create leaner, meaner retailers which is all what we're talking about, which goes back to the fact that, you know, that they, that we need to reduce costs. We need to look at efficiency overall else. You can't spend your way to success. And for the most part, like we've talked about previously, the majority of retailers out there are not trying to grow astronomically. Now, obviously, if you are a startup brand and you are at the start of your growth journey, you can still expect to see some growth. Or at least you should expect to see some growth. 
otherwise you really need to start thinking about what's your product market fit. But if you are a more established brand who is maybe has been in business for seven to 10 years, turning over about, you know, five plus million dollars in revenue, you're probably going to find that demand like that things are in a much more stable position for you. And you're probably in a bit of a riskier position. And obviously, the bigger you are as well, you can build a bit of a moat because of your size. Like let's say a brand like Woolies or Coles, for instance, they have relatively high moats, not just because of their unethical practices, but because of the size they are. It's very hard for them to to for people to take away that market share. It's an incredibly difficult job. So it also becomes like big brands like Coke, McDonald's, um, Nike, those bigger brands, they naturally have inbuilt moats because of their size and because of their brand positioning, you know, and their and their brand awareness in the market. So the real risk comes with smaller brands, with smaller brands who don't quite have that unassailable moat of brand awareness, physical and mental availability. It becomes a much more challenging job to make sure that you are you know, able to grow or maintain. So a lot of the focus should really be on how do we maintain what we've got now, but try to be more efficient with that. One trend which we've seen happening over the last couple of years is people trying to spend their way to success, people putting more and more money into their advertising in order to achieve same or slightly better results. So a big focus of this year from this report is saying that we need to think about how do we actually reduce our costs? How do we be smarter in terms of leveraging, like reducing our input costs, but also reducing all the other expenses, whether it be you know looking at the subscriptions which we have or looking at our advertising costs or looking at really anything in the business which is taking away from the bottom line, which is fundamentally making you less and less healthy. So this is something which uh, which which I think is going to be, a, which everyone on the of the support is thinking that it is going to be a big focus for this year. Um, but also making sure that we do look at things as a whole of business as well, that it's not just a marketing challenge, but it's also a product challenge. It's a people challenge. It's an operational challenge that each one of those key areas are opportunities for us to look at how we can become more efficient. We've talked about the marketing a lot, but again, if you think about your inventory, your product, are we ordering the right products? You know, are we making sure that we've got the right stock to sell, but also we're reducing the amount of aged inventory which we have? That's going to become absolutely critical to freeing up your cash flow. Operationally as well, what are those operational roadblocks or expenses which are preventing people from becoming mad advocates for your brand or are potentially taking up more margin and, and taking away more margin than, than it should, such as shipping, warehousing, things like that. So how do you look at all those different areas? And then with people as well, how do you make sure that you don't, um, that you don't over index on your, on your headcount? We saw during the pandemic, a lot of brands over indexed. They went on massive hiring binges because they, they thought they were growing at a certain rate. But when things started to normalize, you kind of realize that you overhired for that period. And I've been guilty of that as well. But now we're looking at having to make those calls about, okay, well, what do we actually need to run this business um, profitably and sustainably? Do we have the right, like, what are the seats we need on the bus? And then do we have the right people in those seats as well? So being very, very considerate about all those different areas. So your product, your people, your operations, and your marketing, not just the marketing side, which a lot of people end up putting too much focus on. 
Then also looking at retail media. Retail media is something which which people have been talking about for a while and over the last 24 or so months has become more and more prevalent. What do we mean by retail media, first of all? What we mean by retail media is retailers, retail brands, leveraging the attention they have with their customers. Now, it can, that can come through many ways. It could come through selling advertising on your website, which is what some of the big brands like Wool, Woolworths, Coles, et cetera, are now doing to the brands which they stock. They can actually advertise on their websites to push more sales of their product. So that's a kind of a no-brainer. But then there's other ways as well, looking at inserts into your packages. So so selling that to other brands or partnering with other brands to get in from that, doing co-marketing opportunities, partnerships. That's something which is becoming more and more prevalent as well. So in the e-commerce space, a lot of brands now thinking about who can we partner with, you know, who where we can where we've got a similar audience and which we can partner together to cross-promote each other's brands because we think that our customers are going to get a lot of value from that. So that's an area which is going to become uh, really, really important to be able to do, um, you know, to be able to, to, to be able to find those partners to leverage each other's audience in order for everyone to continue to grow. Then also looking at, you know, things like collaborations, collaborations, working with content creators, influencers to create content, um, to create products even, um, which, which can attract a new audience and help you tap new, um, new audiences, new demographics, which you haven't previously been able to. And then another push, um, another another focus of the report is also focusing on things like um, cybersecurity, which, uh, which Paul and I have talked about previously in the past, about how cybersecurity has never been more important with more and more stores being hacked, whether it be Optus, Powerhouse Supplements, or any number. It's just something which is becoming more and more prevalent in this space. And the hackers are getting more and more, um, uh, are getting more and more advanced in terms of what their tactics are. So being very conscious in terms of how you are using your customers' data, but also making sure that you're building trust is also just as important. Ensuring that your customers trust you, that you are responsible and you are going to do the right thing with their, with, with their data, you know, and you have, you essentially, you have your shit together in terms of how you are running your operations to prevent data leaks and things like that. And finally, looking at things like automation and AI, which uh, which obviously have been big things for a little while, but really now focusing in terms of like how do we actually use automation AI to make our supply chains much more resilient than what they um, than 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 what they have previously been before. So how do we focus on not just cost cutting, but how do we make sure on things like you know just in time ordering or just in time manufacturing to reduce the 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 cash outlay, which is required, you know, to when, when you need to manufacture and pay for manufacturing, you know, six months in advance or, you know, nine months in advance or things like that. How can you become smarter with that through the automation AI? So all in all, there's a lot of opportunities here in this retail report. And I've kind of really only touched on just a, you know, a, a small section, you know, of that. I highly recommend that, that everyone reads it. Um, there is also some fantastic interviews as well with various retailers, um, well-known retailers such as the CEO of IKEA, um, you know, and other big brands like that to talk about their perspectives in terms of what the year ahead is going to look like. Now, final one, which I'm going to talk about is going to be Tanya Plibersek, the environment minister. Last week, renewed a threat for the government to intervene in fast fashion. And that's essentially to reduce uh, the amount of fast fashion and to introduce 
more sustainable practices in the fashion industry. This is something which has isn't new. Um, it's been talked about for quite a while. So the backbone of this is what's called the Seamless Initiative. The Seamless Initiative, I think, has been around for for a few years now, um, and there are some well-known brands who have signed up um, who have signed up for for the Seamless Initiative, um, such as Lorna Jane um, and other brands like that. And essentially, what it says is that it's wanting more brands to be conscious, more conscious, and thoughtful in terms of what their manufacturing practices are, um, which is which is nothing but a good thing. If you know anything about the fashion industry, the fashion industry is one of the highest polluters in the world. Matter of fact, if you look at nine, uh, if you look at um, carbon emissions, the manufacturing takes up about nine percent of that, and most of what gets manufactured um, for consumer man- um, in the consumer sense is actually fashion. So there's a lot of waste and there's a lot of emissions which go on into this. And now we consider the way which we buy now, we are now buying for disposability. Whereas if you thought about 40, 50 years ago, when you bought a garment, you expected that garment to last for a while. Matter of fact, there used to be an old thing about an old an old saying, an old belief about men's clothing, where if you're a male buying clothing, all you need is two suits. That's it. You would just buy like a new suit every year. And that's kind of like all you would need. And you just wear that day in, day out. And that's, that's all you, you need to, to, to get by. That's obviously changed about. Uh, a lot now as we less buy for for um for for that permanence but more buying for disposability with fast fashion as manufacturing has got cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and we've been able to do it we've now shifted the mindset of consumers to buying for longevity towards buying for disposability so jumping onto different trends being able to buy things quickly and cheaply you know and disposably so that if something doesn't last or it only wear or you only want to wear it a couple of times it's not that cost prohibitive to do so you can just quickly buy it and then move on um, without really incurring too much of a penalty so this has really changed the behavior and you now look at a lot of people and brands like Shein, for instance, you know, are, are, you know, unfortunately, you know, are big perpetrators of this, of getting people to buy more than they should because that's ultimately how the business survives. It is a big shift for the industry. And Tanya Plebiscic is calling for the government to actually intervene in this. And I believe that we are getting to a point where the government does need to intervene in this. Because one thing which humans have been able to show is that we are not very good at making these changes ourselves. Even though we know that global warming is here and it is called and that human human made global warming is a thing and we are causing the the earth to heat to levels which uh which 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 means that we're gonna it's gonna be uninhabitable within uh within a matter of years. We still don't do enough for it because it's not in our interest to. And that's something which we see time and time again. Um, and we don't move fast enough in this, which means that that's the role of the government. The role of the government is to legislate for the greater good, you know, to do what's right for the population. So I actually support this call for Tanya, for the, for the government to introduce, um, to mandate this, to mandate a shift towards a circular economy, you know, to, to adopt the seamless initiative, you know, to actually move towards a world where we are more conscious in terms of how we design, how we dispose, you know, and all the different business models which go with that. So there are some areas which are, which, which we need to consider in terms of like, how do we collaborate? How does industry collaborate together to be able to establish sensible standards for our industry, 
for the fashion industry anyway, you know, so that we can actually work together towards a solution because it can only come become, it can only come if we all work together. The government can't actually make everything happen by themselves. We need to work with manufacturers. We need to work with, you know, we need to work with the brands themselves. We need to work with supply chains to figure out what do we do with this. We also need to change our attitude towards end of life and what end of life actually means, where we need to start moving towards a world where it's about longevity, repairability, recyclability, and moving away from this current model of disposability, which we have. And the part of that is also educating the consumer as well. You know, how do we actually educate the consumer to move away from from this habit, this spending pattern, which they're in of just buying and disposing really, really quickly and moving away from buying things which are, you know, less durable, but moving towards things which are repairable, durable, um, but also engaging in things like recycling schemes or buyback schemes as well, as we've talked about with New Balance, Nudie, and also brands like RM Williams as well, where that's actually part of the value proposition. And then ultimately, what are we doing to be able to move towards you know, a world where, where, where fashion retailers can actually start contributing more to the economy and environmental and social outcomes as well, you know, which is, can only help to elevate the entire industry. So this could come in ways of taxes. This could come in, uh, in, in, in mandatory reporting. There are a number of ways which they're looking at. But ultimately, I look at this and go like, this is, this is a net, this would be a net benefit for not just society, but also the industry as well, and something which we should all be working towards. Anyway, that's all we've got time for this week. I would love to hear your thoughts on anything which I've just discussed. Um, please reach out through the comments. Otherwise, hit me up on LinkedIn or any social media channel. Um, this has been This Week in E-Commerce, the Ecom Nation podcast. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening.